0: I do feel like the Lord has given me a very simple corporate word to share with you. And so often when you're with a group of people that are uh, leaders or called to be leaders or or people that are just striving to be partner with God in anything that that he wants them to do, um, it is wonderful to be around those kind of people. But can I say this, that many people go through their life without really knowing their purpose, without really knowing what the vision that God has given them to do, and then not knowing what to do with it, or how to identify what season of life they're in so they know how to cooperate with the Lord. So I am not going to give you a Bible study tonight, but I am going to give you some truths that have an ability to release you in this tonight not tomorrow not next year not uh, two years from now because some of us have made it so difficult we forget how easy it is to the lord that he is not playing hide and seek with any of your destiny and even if you have a great vision how many know it needs to be more defined Yes. How many know it needs the timing of God upon it? Yes. How many know it needs the provision of God upon it? All of those things are true. And so I'm going to give you some simple revelation. But please, simple does not mean that it's not worth much. I'm giving you some simple revelation that has an ability to change your life tonight. Whether you've been... Ever in ministry, or whether you have been in different forms of leadership or pulpit ministry for years, it does make a difference. I, be, my job, really what I do well with the spirit of God is release greatness in other people, and I believe that we don't want to leave here without having that impartation on the inside of us. Now, I know people that are as old as I am, and 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 I'm old enough to have. Eight grandchildren, and my oldest grandchild is graduating high school this year. So uh, I've, I've, and I think this is my forty-third year in, in uh, pulpit ministry, and so I've been at it just a while. And I think sometimes what we have the ability to do is simplify, for the purpose of seeing you mobilized and the freedom. To partner with God. So I'm going to start at the end. I'm going to talk about seasons first, just for a second, and then I'll go back and talk about purpose. I'm going to talk about vision. I'm going to talk about prayer, and then we're going to end up with getting you in the right season. But when you I talk seasons, let me say this to you. The most frustrating Christian on the earth is someone that has a vision and a purpose, but does not know what season they're in. And so when they try to put it to use, they don't see the harvest or the fruit from their labor and their life. That makes a very frustrating individual. But some of the most joyful people are just the opposite. They know their purpose, they have a vision, and they know what season to operate in that in And and for many of you, there are the visions and there are the purposes that are your, will take a lifetime for you to fulfill. But for many of you, it will change. Uh, there will be different things that God has you put your hand to at different times. So we cannot get stuck at one place. It all requires relationship. It all requires us being resourced with revelation from him and his heart and the way that he sees that. And so that's what I want for all of you. So we're going to jump right into purpose. And I'm going to give you my definition of purpose. And I'm going to start from the life of Nehemiah, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. It says, And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the Lord of heaven. Can you see that Nehemiah, when he heard about the devastation that had happened, when the walls were broken down, when he heard about the distress that the people were in, great passion came upon him. Great passion came upon him. What did he do? It says he wept, he mourned, and he fasted. And so my definition of passion is this, something that makes you feel something together with the Lord. See, I'm not making it complicated. Passion. What makes you feel something? You need to start paying attention to what makes you weep, what makes you cry, what gets you upset, what bothers you. Because these are those things that flag the passion of God on the inside of you. I remember um, uh, as a young woman, even before I was saved, I would, um, and many of you know my background, I was in a wheelchair wheelchair. Uh, until I was 27, born with a bone disease. My, my bones, I had over 150 breaks, and God raised me up uh, out of a wheelchair. So I had lots of time to read. That, that was what I meant to say by that. And so uh, I would read, and I would read missionary stories and missionary books. It wasn't even saved, and yet these were my favorite types of books to read. Why did I enjoy reading those? I'll tell you what. I would read them, and I would weep. I would read them and and I would the pages would be wept wet. I would read them and passion would be still on the inside of me because what I saw was I was amazed at how ordinary people could do great things and impact the world. I was amazed at what would motivate people to want to lay down their lives for other people. I was amazed. Very impassioned by by people that were willing to give their lives for something bigger than themselves. And that was a passion from being very young that I carried within the midst of me. And it's a passion I still carry today. Now, my husband's not here with me today, but my husband likes films. And so when we got married, we had this deal. He would pick out a film when we went to the movie theater, and then the next time it would be my turn to pick out a film and go to the movie theater. I want you to know he never has kept that commitment. (laughs) I get maybe one out of every five times. So after I've gone to all of his movies and we've seen every type of uh, uh, (laughs) Ant-Man, Spider-Man, body count movies... You know, after that, when they finally get a turn, they say, what movie do you want to go see? And I'm choosing a story based on somebody's true life where they've done something amazing. And you can watch him roll his eyes. He doesn't even try to be secretive about it. You know, he's already picked four or five movies, you know, since I've seen one, and he just rolls his eyes when he when he hears what my pick is. But then when we get in it, when we leave, you can tell I, I've cried all the way through the movie. Why? Because I have a passion in that area. But you could tell when he leaves the movie, he goes, well, what did you think of the movie? And I said, I, I, I really enjoyed it. He goes, but you cried all the way through. <laughs> and I said, I know I did. But see, pay attention to what makes you weep. If you want to know what your passion is, what makes you weep? What makes you cry? When you go to the store, what books do you pick up? Because they'll tell you a lot about the passion that you carry. I have friends that they can't pick up any book that's not about revival. That's their passion. That's what they carry on the inside of them. I know other people that, that uh, you know, that they have different types of things, that in, injustices that, that cause them to weep. And, and they just want to see mercy released on behalf of victims. And that's what makes them weep. That's what makes them cry. That's what makes them feel deeply about something. And so here with Nehemiah, we saw he heard about the walls being torn down, and he cried, and he wept, and you need to pay attention to what um, uh, God is causing you to feel about. Now, I want to say this. I believe in passion, but did you know, even if we have a passionate generation It's not going to change the world. Passion at the end of the day is just a feeling. Passion must be turned to vision. So lift your hands again in this room. Father, I just pray for everyone here. Father, everyone here ought to be able to take a three-minute a pause, say law with you, and know what they're passionate about. They should know what, they're re- the, what they read, what they're drawn to watch, uh, uh, what causes them to weep, when was the last time they cried, what they cried about. Father, this should not be difficult. So, Father, we ask for you, the spirit of revelation, to rise amongst your people right now. Father, to be able to define, to be able to hone in, to be able to clarify. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, Father, we speak that release. But Father, we thank you for this passion, but Father, we're asking for passion now to be turned to vision in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to give you my definition of vision. It's as easy as my definition of passion was. Vision is this. What can you see yourself doing with the Lord? That means that God wants to touch your spiritual eyes, and he wants you to be able to see yourself doing something. I know people that have great passion for other country, passion for Africa. But I want you to know their passion for Africa will never transform Africa. It is only when they are willing to get on that plane and go spend uh, 12 months there, build an orphanage, work in a school, that that passion is turned to vision. But they will never do that unless they can see themselves doing that with the Lord. You realize that you have a lot of beliefs on the inside of you, but you don't expect any of them, and you don't step into them until you have seen yourself doing those things. How many here uh, believe that you're called to lay hands on the sick? Everyone in the room. Absolutely wonderful. A. I got an A on that one. How many people pray over every sick person they ever see? Few. The ones that do are the ones that have seen themselves doing that together with the Lord. And why? It's because they're released within you, there's that expectation, you are already looking for it. You are not waiting for something, you're already looking for that door. Because you have already seen yourself doing it with the Lord, when He opens the door, you just step and you walk right through because you are already there in the spiritual realm. The visionary sees the future and brings it back into his presence, present. Now, I used to say prophets are always frustrated people because they see the future, but they have to live in the present. And so they're frustrated people. And I think on some levels that's true. But I'll tell you what, I believe that when God shows you something, you have the privilege of bringing it back into the now because it has already transformed you. It has already brought some changes on the inside of you. And so you can bring it back in and begin to walk in that. You may not be walking in the fullness of it, but you can begin to walk in that already. So my passion is what I feel deeply about. My vision is what I can see myself doing something together with the Lord. I remember the night that I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. I had this dream, and in this dream, if I, when I was turning this way, I was speaking to one culture, uh, ethnic group in the earth, and as I turned this way, I was speaking to another, and as I turned this way, I was speaking to another, and that just happened as I kept turning and turning. And so the next morning, I went and told somebody that was much more mature in the Lord than myself, and I said, what do you think this means? And they said, I don't know, just put it on the shelf. I want you to know, I saw myself preaching to nations the night I got saved. How many here you find yourself preaching in your sleep? Be honest. Hands are raised up all over them. How many find yourself prophesying in your sleep? See, hands raised up all over things. When you have that on the inside of you... It changes your expectation, and it changes what you're ready to walk into. My husband used to say, I'm going to start recording you prophesying in your sleep, you know, because I don't remember what I've been prophesying, but he would he would tell me in the morning, you were saying da-da-da, you know, and, and uh, uh, you were prophesying in your sleep. But I believe that God wants us to be able to see uh what he wants us doing together with him and then to bring it back into the present i know many of you might have heard the illustration of michelangelo the famous artist when he was carving the rock and a little boy came by and said what are you carving and he says i'm releasing the angel from the rock isn't that interesting he already saw what was inside the rock actually it didn't end up being an angel that's the one that ended up being david but he said there was an angel within the rock He had to see it for him to be able to release it. He had already seen it. Um, I lived in Florida for years, and I lived in California before that. In California, we have Disneyland. In Florida, we have Disney World. And uh, when they got ready to open Disney World in Florida, Walt Disney had already died. And I was watching on the news, and there was this reporter that was there with uh, Walt Disney's uh, brother, And the reporter said to him, he says, wouldn't it have been wonderful if your brother would be alive today to see this? And his brother said this. He says, if he hadn't already seen it, prophet, and I'm American. (laughs) But because there is such a void for the prophetic, you know, they're willing to take it in whatever vessel it comes in, you know? And I realized that. I realized that, that I was not the easiest flavor for them to take on. And so I have an enormous amount of favor in that nation. And I have to say that's because of people willing to jump beyond even their theological uh, limitations that they had. So I'm not saying anything negative. I'm just actually esteeming them very highly. But can I say this? It is not easy. So I had to start taking pastors by name, churches by name. Not, oh, God, you know, let people be able to see our kingdom heart. God, would you give me a way to show Pastor John that we got his back? God, would you give us a way to show, let him know that we are for him? God, would you give uh, us a way to, to show the community that his church is valuable The open-the-door prayers. When I started praying like that, things began to turn. Some of us don't quit praying the, in the heaven prayers, but you won't recognize your open-the-door prayers if you don't pray them too. You need to start praying those because prayer is the pathway between passion and vision. You're not going to get there without prayer coming in between. What is it you're asking God to do? God, if you can cause that man to be kind to me and open that door, I know if I can get through that door, I can build that wall. Isn't that amazing? When you can see yourself doing something, it's going to cause your prayer to be more honed in, more specialized. And it's not always going to have to be the big rend the heaven prayers. Look at your neighbor say, this sure is a simple message tonight. It is. Amen. Okay, I want to get to where I, my intention was to go tonight, and I don't, it won't take me long. I believe the things that you ask God for, the open-the-door prayers, I believe these things excite God because they have measurable success on them you can tell in a moment whether they're answered or not. Sometimes your rend the heaven prayers might take you a long time to see those things answered. But when you start praying those open the door prayers, you have measurable success that you can see when those things are opened and you can say, look what God did, exactly what I prayed, amen? I'm gonna prophesy over many of you in a moment and we're gonna speak into some of those areas. Um, Seasons, this is where I want uh, to go. You have got to know what season you're in or it's not effective. Many of you have the passion, you have the vision, you've prayed the prayers, but you don't have the right season. I work with a lot of amazing young leaders. Elizabeth heard me say this, I think I've got the best young leaders to work with in the world. I am amazed that young people even wanna hang out with me. I mean, it's tremendous. I can't tell you, well, I probably can. not I don't think there's a night of the week that I don't have at least one young leader sleeping on the floor at my house because they've missed their last train home, you know? Because I've learned this. To raise young leaders, there has to be some hangout time. I don't have a lot of time. I travel 20 days a month. But I want you to know, what time I have, they know that it belongs to them after my husband, you know? They know it belongs to them. And even sometimes he thinks they get priority, you know, but... (laughs) But they have to know that. They have to know that. But because they're so amazing and they're so passionate and they're so anointed, I mean, they prophesy as, as well as I do. They preach better than I ever will. I mean, they're phenomenal. I consider it such a privilege to get to, get to work together with them. And, and uh, I'm enlarged because of getting to be together with them. But because they have had such great passion, I've got one that's 27 and he's already started 10 churches. only two remain why his passion and his vision exceeded him knowing what season he was in do you hear that all of those were good things to do aren't they none of those were a negative thing but you don't see the results if you don't do something in the right season and one of the reasons we have prophets is they come along and say, oh, this is what God's called you to do, and this is the season for it, and this is the how to bring it to pass. Because to have a prophetic word, and you have probably all had prophetic words spoken in your life at one time or another, but to have a prophetic word fulfilled, we're talking about right time, right place. You have, those things are, have to be a part of that. And then sometimes we just miss it, and God cycles it back around again. Because he's so merciful, and he loves us so much. And so we, we need to know that, but we have to know the season. Look at this, uh, Elijah. Elijah is just seeing God answer by fire on Mount Carmel. Jezebel has just threatened his life. He is running to the cave, okay? He's running to the cave. He is in despair. He's one in the dark seasons of his life. And he said, uh, God, uh, just kill me. Go ahead and let me die. It's a dark season of his life. Nobody's left but me. We know that wasn't true, but that's how he saw it, right? That's how he saw it. So he's back, and he sees the great fire outside the cave. He had just seen God answer by fire. Isn't that right? So is God talking to me in the f- great fire like he did a few days ago? No. voice of God wasn't there. He saw the great wind. I've seen God do this before, but the voice of God wasn't there. He saw the earthquake. The voice of God was not there. What I want you to see is this. When you're in a different season of your life, God does not have to speak to you in the same way he did in last season. So often it changes you about how he speaks to you. And he spoke to Elijah in the whisper. What is a whisper denote to you. Intimacy, closeness, can't whisper without being close. The intimacy, the the privacy, all of that. He spoke to him in the whisper. He wanted to look at him speaking in him in the outrageous ways he had in the last season, just a, just a few days before. But the season had changed. And so he heard God in the whisper. You may be in a season where you need to hear the voice of God in the whisper right now because your season has changed. And often when it's a regrouping time, when you're going from one season to the next season, that's a very intimate thing between you and the Lord. There are times that God wouldn't even let me prophesy certain things over people because he loves you so much, he wants to release that whisper on the inside of your own ear that you might be able to hear that. Now catch this. Elijah thought he was at the end of his ministry. See, that was the season he thought he was at. When he was at the beginning of his legacy. I'm going to say it again. He thought he was at the end of his ministry. And he was at the beginning of his legacy. And God said, go find Elisha. You're never going to finish ministry. But what motivates you to minister changes i want you to know i don't do anything without seeing where it affects legacy i don't i elizabeth knows we turn down over 200 meetings a year and it's not even it's not even about size the ones that we take why because there's places you can bless and then there's places you can build you know, sometimes you have to build relationship before you can ever build, and that's understandable. But you've got to know by the Spirit of God because he thought he was at the end of his ministry and he was at the beginning of his legacy. That means the level of impartation, the level of impact, the level of building, the level of it lasting for the next generation, the NIST, standing the test of time, it's all just been shifted. Did you know it can start in you that way? It doesn't have to end up in you that way. It can actually start within you in that way. So lift your hands. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I speak over all of these. And Father, I pray that there'll be a shift within each of these between only ministry to ministry and legacy, motivated by legacy, motivated by you changing the earth, by you transforming the world through us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Uh, David's life, I'm going to prophesy to you as I share these things. In David's life, you see some different seasons that I think will help you tonight. One of the seasons was a secret place. Another season was Saul's court. Another season was the cave. He had his cave season too. Another season was a covenant. and Another season was a throne. Now, the reason I'm sharing you with that, all of our seasons look a little bit different. But I believe these all have some same traits for all of us. What's the secret place season? This is the season of the whisper. This is the season of the intimacy. This is the season of the worship. This is the season of gazing on him and being transformed into his image. Because never being, having the biggest church or the most money or the claim of others or the profit with the great clarity is the, is the goal. The goal is always to come forth in the image of Jesus. That's the highest goal. And when people get that goal right on the inside of them, I can't tell you, it's like deliverance. It is deliverance. I mean, to be, It's one thing to be delivered from demons it's another thing to be delivered from self (gasps) i I tell you it is just it is just so freeing Uh, but i have an amazing father in the lord bishop bill hammond i'll tell you what uh i was one of those prophets most prophets get to grow up i was one of those prophets that got to be raised up i think there's a difference there really is didn't mean i didn't have to get healed and restored just like everybody else I'll tell you what, right from the very beginning, he says, it is not about being the best prophet. It's not about having the most accuracy. It's not about standing on the biggest platforms. It's not about speaking to presidents and prime ministers. It's not about that. It's about the image of Jesus. Whew. Wave your hand if you got a little delivered. Woo hoo hoo. I did. Okay. So, a uh, secret place. Hallelujah. A secret place season. No matter how much you want to be envisioned, it's not going to take place at a secret place season. Did you catch that? No matter how much strategy you want, it's not going to take place at a secret place season. And so if you don't understand what season you're in, can you say, oh, God, why is heaven quiet? Why am I not hearing any of these things that I need to hear? Why are no doors opening? Why is nobody recognizing? You're in a secret place season. Don't frustrate with it. Enjoy it. And the faster you enjoy it, I know you, you would want it to go on forever if you're really enjoying it, the shorter it gets. See, seasons aren't just something that automatically have a beginning and an end. The season takes as long as it takes you. Someone say, oh, help me, God. Oh, help me, God. Yeah. So when is that secret place season... You have to deal with your diary. You have to work with your focus. If your day is so full, you don't have time for a secret place season, it's going to take a long time to get through that season. But if you can identify that you're in a secret place season, then what am I going to do? I'm going to turn the TV off, you know? I I might do some fasting and pray, not fill the refrigerator. You know, with food, I might uh, close down my relationships for a little bit. You know, not turn them off, but you know, uh, uh, let them know that I need some time right now. And give the Lord that time. Turn it into worship, prayer. It's not even a time about big intercession. That secret place season is you and God. And you know what I've learned a long time ago? Is if I will work together with God in whatever season I am in, What he is doing is he's putting in me what is necessary for me to actually be successful in that next season. And if I don't learn what I need to do in each season that I'm at, then I'm not usually as successful as what I ought to be in the next season. So this is a good time when you're in the secret place time. Now remember, your intimacy with the Lord never goes away. Uh, But there are special times when that is not, is the focus, right? You understood what I said. Okay, so if you're in a secret place time, enjoy it. Gaze upon him, be transformed into his image, get filled up because you're going to need all that fuel for the next season you're at. Okay, the next season that he was at Saul's court, what happened? He killed Goliath and he went into Saul's court, didn't he? Immediately. This one is going to be hard to take by most of us. Here we have a man called to be king, and yet he's got to serve another king. He was sent to Saul's court. I know that many of you are running from controlling leadership, religious leadership. I know that many of you have hurts and wounds that just cause you not to be connected anywhere, and you don't know where to be connected, and... and um, You don't know who you trust anymore. But there is always a Saul's court time. And usually several times in your life. Over. It's not over once and it's done with. And did you notice it had nothing to do with the character of Saul? Catch that? God didn't say... Go serve another leader, a pastor, an apostle who's got all the great character and all the present truth. Somebody say amen. Am I the only one that has lived any of this? (laughs) Okay. But you have to hear this. If it's a Saul's court season, God is saying you only reap what you sow. You're going to need some loyalty. You're going to need some honor. You're going to need someone to hold up your arms. You're going to need someone to say something good about you uh, even when they don't believe it. You're going to need someone to let love cover a multitude of sins for you. And you don't get it without sowing that in. So if you're in a Saul's court season, and I'm watching the time here. If you're in a Saul's court season... Enjoy it. And you go, well, how can I possibly enjoy that? Grace. Absolute grace. How many here have ever been in love? Yes. How many are still in love? Okay. In the early days of love, it affects your sight. You know, it's hard to see that person's flaws in the early days of love. It is. And I actually believe this is a chemical thing that God does in the body or nobody would ever make a commitment. So I actually think it was God made, you know, by people. And let me just share this to you. I know everybody is waiting for the, 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 the perfect partner and someone that so compliments in a ministry and everything. But my father and the Lord always taught me this, and he has proved to be true. God marries you to the person that has the greatest ability to conform you into the image of God. They are doing you a favor. But you wish you could see again like you did in those early days, you know? Now you can see it all. I really am not lying to you. It's not a joke. That's a real truth there. There's a, that's a real truth. Okay. How do you serve people that have all of these flaws you love them with God's love and it affects your sight. Can I tell you that? You start seeing them after the eyes of the Spirit. Now, whether they ever rise up and operate in that potential that the Spirit of God put within them or not is not your issue. But you will have the grace to do it as long as He can give you that sight and that heart to be able to do it. And there'll be a time when that season's over. And Saul's court season will be done. And you might have had a few spears thrown your direction. But God did not want David to be a wounded king. That he was so wounded in his heart because he wasn't honored, he wasn't betrayed. that he didn't, they, they, they didn't recognize him as the king. That that he just had to serve, and, he, and then they didn't want him, and he was he had to run around the desert and and just uh, for survival's sake. Listen, God cares so much more about you and the character and your ability to carry success in the next season. He wants you to have some difficult Saul's court seasons. Did you say that? How can I possibly have the stamina? to deal with stuff if I never go through stuff. My husband and I have only been married 13 years. When I go home this week, it'll be our anniversary. And yay. But I want you to know, I had been a single mom for 16 years when I married him. And we'd had a long-distance relationship. So we got married, and all of a sudden, something changed. Horns began to grow underneath my hair. I was acting like I had never acted before. Me, this mature woman of God. I remember waking up one morning and I said, how come your stuff is all over my room? <laughs> oh, I was feeling closed in. You never did anything like that, did you? Oh, to have. <laughs> you know, I have never been a screamer. And I was like having an out-of-body experience watching myself <laughs> scream. I thought, where did that come from? <laughs> you know what it is? It is only the areas in your life that are tried that have an opportunity to mature. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. I hadn't been married for 16 years. Those areas of my life were not being tried. So they were not maturing. Now, my character and other areas were maturing in my life, but these had not been tried yet. Yet. And it was trying. <laughs> but my husband would say, I'm a good wife. And, and, and I, I think I am a good wife. And I'm a much better minister being married to him. A little more godlike, you know, uh, because he helps me in that area. Look at your neighbor. Say, if you haven't had a Saul's court season, you're about to. okay the cave okay let's, let's let's try to wrap this up in a couple minutes so we can start prophesying the cave season what did david's cave season look like you know again just like elijah it was a dark time for his soul in the cave season it was a time that he felt isolated it was a time he felt alone so what could possibly be the purpose of his cave season This is where the triple D company came to David. Who are they? The depressed, the distressed, the in debt? Any other Ds? The disappointed? The whoever they were. Okay. This is when the triple D company came, came to David. Is it possible that in your gave season, you find out who your friends really are? Is it possible in your cave season there's such a vulnerability within you that that's when you bond and bind with people in a greater way I mean these are the ones that went on to be the mighty men is it possible that in the cave season that even though it feels like survival you have to choose life why I said all of us can identify with all these different seasons even though it might not be titled the same in your life so we all have a cave season my goal is this I want my cave season to be as short as possible (laughs) so whatever it is I'm here for God if this is a cave season come on you know, is if this is a death and resurrection, let's, you know, just, just die and get it over with. You know, if this is a time to find out who my friends really are, God, give me eyes to see past my own hurt, my own isolation, and really be able to see others that are around about me. God, if you're connecting people to me, God, let me see them rather than just concentrate on me. Because there's no such thing as ministry without life Relationships. Wouldn't even be hardly worth it. It's those that God connects you to, and those that you fight together, you 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 pray together, you have victory together, you have failures together, and you still believe the best. So, cave seasons turn to your neighbors. Say, keep them short. <laughs> keep them short. I want to talk about the covenant season for just a moment. What is a covenant season? Often a covenant season where is when you realize that the water level has just been raised. The plumb line has, has just become visible. The water line of the spirit has gone from, from ankles to knees to waist to waters to swim in. All of a sudden, it's not about a New Year's resolution, but you recognize God's asking more of me than he was yesterday. Isn't that true? You thought you were holy yesterday until the Lord spoke to you about some things today that you needed to deal with. I mean, it's true. It continually is that way the rest of our lives. There's that area where he is just shining his light, and he is bringing us to those places where we look more like him. And it's wonderful that he's doing so. But a covenant season is where he goes, whew, I've given my son's life for you, his blood for you. Uh, I made you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Great! Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then there's that pause. It is, for every one of us. He's waiting for our response. Gina, you don't have to be my age to already be able to say, you know what, I've laid my life down. Whew. Not that we don't have to keep it down, but I, I really have, th- this is it. This doing this the rest of my life is my goal. Want greater impact from it? Want to affect more people? But but I'm going to do this. I've already laid my life down. I've passed the test of money. I've passed the test of fame. Passed the test of rejection. covenant is where God says whew and you're supposed to go okay what now what is he asking for my life now because you've already been praying anything God I'm yours everything wash me cleanse me oh burn me with your fire oh drown me with your waters (laughs) covenant time is when the conditions begin to be specialized or they begin to be articulated when you know you're being called up to another level. What was okay yesterday all of a sudden isn't okay today. And did you know it's not the same for every one of us? If you want to go by fair, it leaves at covenant season. You know, I never think it's fair when God is asking me to do something he's not asking my husband to do. You know, it's like when you go on a diet, you want to go on it together. (laughs) Isn't that right? Let's do this together. You know, let's start exercising. We want to do this together, you know. Covenant isn't one of those seasons. It's you and God. It's you and God. Now, whoever's around you may get the benefit of it. But see, what we want to say is, oh, God just really spoke to me, and we're supposed to do this now. No. No. It's about you and God. Covenant. So, when you have those seasons, I just suggest this whatever he puts his finger on, this is why I say, God, I want to hate what you hate, and I want to love what you love. And God, if there's some things in me you don't like, I want to hate them. I want to hate them so bad that I don't operate in those things anymore. I'm not even going to talk to you about sins or what types of sins. That's not it. But can I tell you a secret? I have learned a long time ago. It tells us to seek after the things of the spirit and we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If you try to live a holy life based on discipline, you're going to fail. Instead, you live a holy life based on the fact that you're so filled up, there's not room for anything else. And I've learned this. When the disciples asked Jesus, they said, teach us to pray. One of the ways he taught them to pray is pray that, you know, you'd not be led into temptation. And you know what I found out? I I pray, God, give me the strength to resist temptation. I pray that every day. I don't wait till I get into temptation. Oh, God, give me the strength to resist temptation so my mouth does not say things I ought not to say. God, give me the strength to resist t- temptation so that I don't, I, I don't act like this, or I don't do that. Yours might be something else. But I'll tell you what, be proactive, be filled up, and at a time of covenant, it gets a whole lot easier. It gets a whole lot easier how to do it. So lift your hands again. Father, right now I pray for all of these. And Father, whether they're in a secret place time, whether they're in a Saul's court time, in a cave time, or Father, even in a covenant time, Father, we ask right now that there would be such a grace upon them, so full of you that it drives out everything. God, it drives out sin. It drives out sickness. It drives out death. It drives out the enemy. In the name of Jesus, and Father, we ask that they could live in that wonderful overflow of your presence. Covenant season. Amen.